Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. I want to begin my message this morning by reading from this one verse of Scripture. It's a, it's a really a marvelous verse. Then um, I, I want to tell you a, a true story, which is like an uh, opening illustration. However, like my message a few weeks ago, it's my opening illustration out of control. Uh, extended true story. Um, and then briefly at the end, I want to return to this verse just to pick out some truths about Christmas. It's a, it's a great verse to reflect upon this Christmas season because um, it speaks and it, it tells of what God has done for us in Jesus and who Jesus is and, and the, the task that He accomplished. It says this, Isaiah 9, verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Well, this uh, past couple of weeks, I, I was told of a story of uh, Don Richardson. How many of you are familiar with Don Richardson, Peace Child? Some of you. I, I really wasn't until Al Lewis spoke to me and just talked about uh, what happened uh, recently uh, with Don. He's a, a missionary, was a missionary to the Sawa people uh, in Ecuador and he came back and visited them. I watched this video. I, I had this book on my shelf for years and I just picked it up and read it and it's captured me. And I thought, you know what, this would be a great message for Christmas, the peace child. Because it was exactly 50 years ago this year, 1962, that Don Richardson, his wife Carol, and their infant son Stephen went to the jungles of Netherlands, New Guinea, which is now called Papua New Guinea, to bring the gospel to the Sawi people. And uh, these were violent people, cannibals. They were treacherous people. They didn't hold in honor the one who killed the most enemies. They held in honor the one who killed the enemy in the most treacherous of ways. In fact, the greater the betrayal, the greater the honor. They liked to fight, fatten the calf, if you will, before the slaughter. They would lure an enemy into, into their own territory and, and, and make peace with them and meet with them several times and then have them come and feast with them on, on several occasions until their enemy's guard was down. And when their guard was down in the middle of the feast, they would attack and kill and eat. And the heroes in the Sawi people were those who were able to betray their enemy in the greatest manner. The greater the betrayal, the greater the hero. Now, to the Sawi, deep in the jungle, the white man was a mystery. Um, some had never, many of the Sawi people had never seen a white man before. Don Richardson came. Um, they, they'd seen planes fly overhead occasionally, maybe every couple of years. They'd fly, see one kind of fly a little bit lower. Um, for all intents and purposes, they were aliens to them. They heard that they were very tall and very big. They heard that they were White had white skin like, like saga flower. They, it was cool to the touch of their, their skin, it was. They heard, said that they had weapons that capable of spurting fire and, and made a sound the loudest, a, a thunderclap. These, um, these white people had hair that was straight or maybe it was wavy, but it was never kinky. They covered themselves with such strange skins that they could barely tell who they were, only just a small part of them you could see. 
Most informants affirm that um, females of this race may not, may not even exist because nobody had ever seen one. Well, maybe some had, but they weren't really sure. They, they called the white folks Tuans. That's what they called them. Very mysterious people. And when Don Richardson showed up in the jungle to these people, he didn't know whether or not he'd be killed. They were cannibals. And you remember, think about 1962. What happened six years earlier? 1956, remember? 1956 in January. What happened? Tim Elliott went to cannibals and um, was speared to death on the beach in Ecuador. Don Richardson was doing really the same thing. But the Sawi knew enough of the Tuans that they knew that they would be beneficial to them because they brought things like medicines that were magical in their power to heal. They, they brought steel axes and machetes and knives and, and other goods to the tribes which would help them. And, and furthermore, as they, they thought the Tuan people were immortal because they'd never seen one die before. And so they, they knew that these people were powerful creatures and they thought that it would be good for them to come among them. So John Richardson was relatively safe and yet he knew that he needed to keep attention and alert because all of these Sawi people were capable of flying into a rage the mere drop of a word. Now, it wasn't accidental. The kids were trained this way from their childhood. They were never punished for their disobedience. In fact, they were taught to throw tantrums. You might think in America that we were teaching our children the same things, but they taught them that the, the bigger the rage, if a violent enough tantrum was thrown, he'd get his way eventually. And they're, they're trained to be angry, violent People encouraged to seek revenge. Let these um, grudges come deep within their, their souls and let them fester for years. But someday you seek revenge in the greatest way. Well, during his first visit among them, he, he went alone. And um, basically what we tried to do is find a place for his house and, and, and build a small little hut. I think it was about 16 by 20 foot hut that he was going to build. And uh, when he stepped on land, word quickly spread that a Tuan had come among us. And then he found out his spot up a little bit on the hill. He built his, his uh, hut a little bit on sticks, picked it up high, had a lot of helpers, had about 200 people from different tribes come and help him build a small house. And then he, he paid them and then he announced in three days, I'm going to come back with my wife and my child. So he went back to the um, the, the missionary station, if you will, about 60 miles upriver. It was a, it was a long uh, river ride back up this windy river. And uh, he returned three days later, the wife and child in canoe. And when he returned, it was getting dark and just uh, dusk. And uh, he was greeted by several hundred armed warriors who thronged the shore. And uh, he didn't know whether these people were going to be friendly or not. I mean, it looked like they were savage and ready to um, eat them and kill them. And he, he thought, had I misread their intentions, was their way expressing welcome or was it something else? Had I missed God's leading in bringing Carol and Stephen here so, so soon I could hear my heart pounding in an echo chamber? Lord, have I been a fool? These men have never even learned to respect a policeman, let alone honor you. And here they are, man, here we are, man, wife and child, 65 river miles from the nearest government post, defenseless, except for your spirit surrounding us. And pretty soon there was a signal and the drums started beating and they were in cadence and a loud whooping and, and uh, like warrior cries. And soon they were all dancing and he pretty soon figured out that these people weren't fighting against him. They were celebrating him coming 
Much like a, a military post would come when, when some dignitary comes. You put on all your display of, of all the power that you have and welcome him in. And, and as they were welcomed then, they went right up into the house and began living among the, the people there. That was the environment in which he came. To some people who were ignorant of the ways of the 20th century, ignorant of the ways of God, ignorant of the gospel. And over the next few months, the Richardson family began to live with the Sawi, uh, learn their customs, learn their ways, learn their language. And as he had ability, Don began to teach them about God and the gospel. And he, he began teaching them about God. He called them the Maya Kadon, the greatest spirit. I mean, these were animistic people. They, they worshipped the spirits and, and um, they marveled at how unlike... God, how God was unlike all their spirits that they feared. Because He was the greatest spirit. He wasn't the spirit who just dwelt in a log or in a tree someplace. He knows everything. He knows what everyone is saying and doing and thinking. We can't see Him, but He sees us, Don said. He controls everything just as easily as you and I control the movement of our own muscles. Without Him, the wind cannot blow and the nor can the rain fall. The sun cannot shine nor the moon rise without His power. Neither could plants grow nor babies be conceived without His provision. And as they heard this, they, they began to be amazed at the, the Maya Kadon, this great Spirit, this great God. And Don Richardson then continued teaching over a course of time, teaching about God and His love, love for justice and His patience and His mercy. They talked about the creation of the world and, and the advent of evil and into the human community. They taught about how God's pursuit then of lost man. They taught about how Jesus came and, and taught about how He came to the Jews and how this Jewish people were the, were the ones who God really taught over the centuries. And, and through these teachings, some of them continued interest. Many of them, though, lost interest in what He was saying, especially when talking about the Jews. Think about it. you got these jungle dwellers who don't know much other than just whatever five-mile radius of where they've been. And they start telling of these people that lived thousands of years ago in a place thousands of miles away and like it would have significance upon these jungle people. And they they kind of were lost and they just didn't have a lot of attention and interest in that. But it all turned when he began to tell them about Judas. Three years, Judas had kept close company with Jesus, sharing the same food and traveling the same road. And Jesus, Judas then betrayed Jesus handing him over to the authorities who killed him by hanging him on the cross. And this he did all by himself without letting any of the disciples know what his plans were. And um, when Don Richardson finished the story, one of the men whistled a bird call of admiration. And the others were in awe. And they're like rejoicing. And Don Richardson was saying, what's, what's wrong here? And it dawned on him that they were claiming Judas as the hero of the story. Because he was the one who committed the greatest act of treachery, even beyond anything that any of the Sowie had ever done. Three years infiltrated into enemy camp and finally to betray Jesus. Nobody else was on to it even. Jesus, as they said, he was the super Sowie. I mean, he was the guy. And then Don Richardson reflected upon how unprepared the Sowie were to hear the gospel. I mean, at least, at least the Jews were taught and prepared for the coming of the Messiah. We, we have verses like we read today in Isaiah 9, 6. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. 
And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And, and so they're anticipating the Son to come. And they're anticipating His government to be great. Verse 7, And there will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace on, his throne, on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. They were anticipating a Messiah to come and to have a, have a big government and to have, have Jesus be ruling and reigning and this Messiah coming. And they knew also Isaiah seven fourteen right? That He would come born of a virgin. A virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call His name Emmanuel. They were anticipating a Messiah is going to come and deliver them. And they had categories to understand Jesus as well. Moses spoke to Nicodemus and said, Just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness in the days of Moses, so also the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. Right? They're anticipating one they can just look to and believe and trust. And John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they understood Lamb of God. Lamb was the sacrifice. He's going to be the sacrifice because sacrifice take away sins. And the Lamb would take away sins. The life of Jesus gave testimony He was Messiah, right? Doing good. Healing those who were oppressed by the devil. But none of these things were true of the Sawi people. They had no category for Redeemer. Even when one came who was a righteous man, they preferred the traitor rather than the, the righteous man. And, and try as he might, Richardson could never figure out how to communicate the Gospel to these people. So he looked to Jesus and not to Judas. In fact, Don and Carol began to wonder if they were being betrayed, whether they were being fattened with friendship for the slaughter. Furthermore, as they they were there, there were problems in the jungle all the time. Violence was breaking out. I mean, one of the things, the problems that that Don and Carol had created in in moving there, they were like a magnet, attracted many more people living closely together than the Sawis were used to. There are two Sawi tribes, particularly live close proximity to them. As a result, they experienced constant clashes, violence among them, constant skirmishes, battles. And the Richardson did many, many times as to heal people of their wounds and to treat them with their medicines like penicillin as they'd hurt one another. And Don came to realize that the only way for the Sawi to survive was in small communities where each person in the community was really needed and valued and known and loved. But once that community got too big then um, it wouldn't work because the life wouldn't be as valuable anymore. And so then to put all these people all close together was harming them. And then he said, Suddenly one day a new thought stopped me in my tracks. You keep urging them to make peace, I said to myself, on the assumption that peace is possible with these people. Peace, however, requires assurance of sincere goodwill on both sides. But among the Sawi, where betrayal is a constant possibility, can there ever be assurance of sincere goodwill? Each side knows perfectly the other side's capacity for using friendship as a means of treachery. Each side knows also that at any time a bind can be used to close the mouths even of those who normally would stand by a peace agreement. You say, can it, is it possible even these people can know peace? And there came a time in his ministry that he, he told the people he's going to just leave them. He said his presence in the jungle was a constant danger to them as they brought them closer together. He said, since you cannot make peace with each other, it's clear to us that we ought to leave you. If we stay here, it's only a matter of time until men are killed and then you'll be locked in a blood feud which will take still more lives. 
There are other Sawi villages over on the All River, Tamor, Sato, Ero, and Hahami. We will go and see if they are living at peace with each other and try to reach them. Now, this stirred the Sawi people. They, they, they knew the benefits of the Tuans living close to them. And, and so they had discussion. They went into their manhouse and they had lots of discussion for well into the evening. And then late in the evening, one of the Sawi men came and said, Tuan, we are not going to kill each other. Tawan, tomorrow we are going to make peace. Well, the next morning, Don and Carol Richardson witnessed the very breakthrough that they needed. As the day dawned, he saw a man carrying one of his sons on his back. And his wife was there sobbing violently and wailing. And at one point she came and took the child off of her husband's shoulders and clung the child to her breast and her chest and just kept the child here like this and the husband then tried to, to take the son back. And then, then this man's oldest son stood between his mom and his dad and, and protected the little child from his dad. And then pretty soon, they noticed that all the women were clutching their babies close to their breasts, crying out of apprehension. And men were running back and forth, gesturing and shouting. It was pandemonium and turmoil. And at one point, another man took a little baby and, and he took him up and lifted him high up for all to see. And all were cheering. And then, and then he gave it to his brother and said, No, you, you take it. I can't do it. And so the brother took it and started walking towards the other tribe. And, and then this man went after his brother and said, No, 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 no. I can't, I can't do it. can't do it. And so he, he took the son back. He said, I, can't, I changed my mind. I can't let him go. Suddenly a man named Kayo, who had only one child, unlike the other two men who had several children, slipped away and found his only son on a glass, grass mat in his hut. The baby was only six months old and he, he said to himself, it is necessary, there's no other way to stop the fighting. And if the fighting does not stop, the two-on will leave. And so he reached down and picked up his son, Biakadon was his name, and began to, to walk towards the crowd with conflicting emotions in his mind. And pretty soon he he took the child and, and started running towards this other, this other tribe with whom they were seeking peace. And Kyle's wife then saw him with the, their firstborn, their only son. She stood frozen and shocked and in disbelief. And then she began to, to run after him and screamed and, and pleaded with him all for us to come back. But Kyle never looked back. He kept running and running and running, growing smaller and smaller in the distance as he went. There was no hope now of the wife to catch Kayo. He was too far ahead, almost reached the waiting crowd among the Hanum, which was another Sawi tribe living close by. And when Kayo reached the edge of Haman, I just want to read now from, um, from the book Priest Child. This is like the climax of the book. And I trust you can start seeing how this looks like Christmas. It says, Kayo's chest was heaving with emotion as he reached the edge of Hanum. The leading men of the village were masked in front of him now, expectantly eyeing the child that Kayo held in his hands. Kayo scanned the row of enemy faces before him. Maum, Kani, Mahanen, Nayan, they all were there, all of his enemies. Then he saw the man he had chosen and called his name. Mahor, he cried. Mahor leaped forward, his eyes bright with emotion. Kayo and Mahor drew near to each other and all the men, women, and children of Hainam 
were crowding closer, their faces bright with anticipation. And behind him, Kyle could hear the roar of excitement from the people of his own village who were watching from a distance. And Kyle and Mahor stood face to face. Mahor, Kyle challenged, will you plead the words of Kamur among your people? Kamur was the other village, what they called themselves. Yes, Mahor responded, I will plead the words of Kamur among my people. Then I give you my son and with him my name. Kyle had forth little Biakadan and Mahor received him gently into his arms. And Mahor shouted, Yah! It is enough! I will surely plead peace for us. Both villages thundered forth a series of ha-hop commands. Like, like hip-hip, hooray! Hop-hop commands! Hop-hop commands! And they keep doing those until the very earth itself seemed to quiver with emotion. People now began calling Mahor by Kayo's name. Suddenly, Mahan reappeared in the front of the crowd and facing Kayo, Mahan held aloft one of his other baby sons and cried, Kayo! Will you plead the words of Hanum among your people? Yes, cried Kayo, holding out his hands toward Mon. Then I give you my son and with him my name. And as Kayo took the little boy, Mani, from Mahan, a sudden cry of despair broke out from the back of the throng. Close relatives of the child had realized, just realized what was happening. And Kayo was about to respond to Mayan's gift when Mahan urged him, Go! Go quickly! And Kayo wheeled around and fled toward Kamar with his newly adopted son, Mani. Close relatives of the child tried in vain to overtake him. And as Kayo departed, Mahor shouted an invitation to the entire population of Hanum. Those who accept this child as a basis for peace, come and lay your hands on him. And young and old alike, male and female, filed eagerly past Mahor and laid their hands in turn upon tiny Biakadan, sealing their acceptance of peace with Kamur. And the same ceremony took place in Kamur as soon as Kayo returned with Mahan's baby in his hands. And Kayo now began to go by the name of Mahan. Kayo's wife, meanwhile, dragged herself out of the bog and staggered toward her home weeping. A beautiful woman, she had now become a lonely Sorrowing specter, caked from head to foot in drying mud, her cries were echoed by the moaning of those similarly bereaved in Hanum. Older women related to Kayo's wife now came and wept with her in a vain attempt to assuage her grief. Biakadon and Mani, meanwhile, were carried up into the manhouses in their respective adopted villages to be decorated for a peace celebration. It was the first time I recall I seeing so many Sawi men gathered together without a single weapon of war on their persons. And while the babies were being adorned, young men stuck heather, feathers in their hair, brought out their drums and began to dance. And I managed to draw one of them aside. I began to ask him that the young man's name was Ari. Exuberantly, he explained what had taken place. Kayo has given his son to Hanum as a Tarop Tim, a peace child. And man, in return, has given a tarap tim to us. Why is this necessary, I asked. Tuan, you've been urging us to make peace. Don't you know it's impossible to have peace without a peace child? Well, let me ask you, do you think that uh, Don Richardson left? It was the very breakthrough that he needed. He would write later, I had thought the Sawi culturist based on a single pillar, 
the total idealization of violence with its awesome manifestations of treachery, headhunting and cannibalism aided when necessary by this bind of betrayal. In this view, peace could never be established for goodwill would have no credibility. The theory seemed logical, watertight. Yet somewhere in prehistory, the ancestors of Sawi had accomplished what the theory said could not be done. They had found a way to prove sincerity and to establish peace among Peace. Among the Sawi, every demonstration of friendship was suspect except for one. If a man would actually give his own son to his enemies, that man could be trusted. And everyone who laid his hand on the given son was bound not to work violence against those who gave him, nor to employ the bind of betrayal for their destruction. And now Don Richardson had the key to unlock the gospel for the Sawi. To, to show them how peace was established. And he then talked to them about Jesus Christ is the peace child. Jesus Christ was, was given to still the hostility between us and God. And Jesus Christ was given to make peace in the world. Is that not the message of Christmas this morning? Trust you remember what um, Darren read for us from Luke chapter 2. Think about the message that was heard. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And the names of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest among earth, peace among men with whom He is pleased. I really two things stand out in that address. The angels come and they announce the coming of a baby, a child. And they announce with that child comes peace. Peace among men. For which he's pleased. The coming of a child, the proclaiming of peace. And in fact, that's exactly what Isaiah chapter 9 speaks about. The, the coming of a child, the proclaiming of peace. Look at it there. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For a child will be born to us and a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You see the coming of the child, right? A child will be born to us. And a son will be given to us. And this is what God did when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was His only begotten Son. See, God didn't have another Son to give. God gave what He had. He had Jesus Christ and He gave Him. You know, we can often think it was easy for the Lord to give up His child. To give up His only Son. But I, I don't think so. I, I think God was like Abraham. Do you remember when the Lord called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac upon Mount Moriah? He said, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, the son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Your son, your, your only son, the son whom you love, and go and offer him. And Abraham was willing to take the son to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Of course, God stayed his hand and stopped the sacrifice before it took place. 
But it was, it's, 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 a, it's a drama of great emotion there with Abraham. It, and I'm sure that that was the emotions of Cayo when he gave his son, his only son, the son whom he loved to an enemy tribe. It's just got to be just like Abraham in all intents and purposes in some regards, sacrificing his son, giving his son away. I think the emotions are similar emotions that God experienced as well for him to give his son, his only son, the son whom he loved. God was willing to give us his son who then would die on Calvary. When God gave Jesus to us, he knew what awaited him. Jesus knew what awaited him as well. He knew that he would be oppressed and afflicted, Isaiah 53 He knew that he'd be led like a lamb to slaughter. He knew that he'd be cut off out of the land of the living. And yet, like Cayo, God knew that his son would bring peace. In fact, God knew, like Cayo, that this was the only way to bring peace. So we see in our verse, right, the coming of a child. And we also see the proclamation of peace. For unto us a child is born, to us a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. See, Jesus came into the world with a purpose to reconcile man to God. You can see it right there. He's the Prince of Peace. And, and when Jesus came to us, he didn't come to us when we were his friends. He came to us when we were his enemies, right? Paul says in Romans 5, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We were helpless. That's when he came. One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were helpless. We were sinners. And it goes worse than that. Paul continues on much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When God sent Jesus to us, we were, as Ephesians 2, 1 says, children of wrath. We were God's enemies. We were in rebellion against the Lord. And that's the people to whom God gave His Son, Jesus. And that's what Cayo did. He gave his child to his enemy. It's exactly what happened at Christmas time. God came down to save those who rebelled against Him. And it's typical what people did to Jesus, right? He killed Him upon the cross. Jesus came into His own and those who were His own did not receive Him. Because, of course, they were God's enemies. They rejected God. They rejected Jesus. Placed Him upon the cross. And here it is through a twist of irony. That sin of crucifying Jesus became the very means through which Jesus would atone for sins. And when our sins are forgiven, we have, we have peace with God. And when we have peace with God, we are able to have peace then with other people. As a pastor, I'm told a lot of problems that people are facing. I'm told of um, people tell me sometimes their own problems. People sometimes tell me the problems of other people. The problems span the spectrum. There are relational problems, drug problems, alcohol problems, marital problems, sexual problems, financial problems, anxiety problems, family problems, addiction problems. They're all over the place. And, And often I'm reminded that the solution to all these sin problems is Jesus. 
He solves our relational problems by giving us grace and patience. He solves our addiction problems by giving us a better desire, a desire for God rather than a desire for things or stuff. He solves our financial problems by giving us contentment in life. First, reconciling us to the Lord. And reconciling us to each other. Giving us a proper perspective of the world. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And I just ask you this morning, do you believe in Him? Do you believe in the peace child that God has given to us? Well, the good news is the Sowies believed in Jesus. They came to see that Jesus was the ultimate Taraptin, the ultimate peace child. See, it's interesting, in the Sawi culture, when they gave their peace child, peace lasted how long? As long as the child lived. What happened when the child died? Covenant was over. The promise was over. And warring could start again. The child was dead. No more obligation for peace unless another peace child was given. Sound familiar? Remember like Old Testament sacrifices, right? There's a sacrifice. You need another sacrifice. You need another sacrifice. What, what do these point to? They, they point to an ultimate sacrifice we need. And what do all these peace childs, peace children give point to? And I don't know how many were given in the thousands of years that the Sowies lived. But they point to an ultimate peace child. One who would come and be so transcendent he would never die. And Jesus is just that child. He's the peace child that never dies. In fact, look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Right? He's the one that counsels us, that helps us with all our problems and difficulties. He is Mighty God. There are Trinitarian overtones there for sure. that He's, he's identified right there as the, the Mighty God. This is Jesus the Son is the same as God the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three persons, one God. It's mystery, but it's, it's all wrapped up here. But what's he also called? He's called the Eternal Father. This is the Son being called the Eternal Father. In many ways, when God gave us His Son, He was giving us Himself. This is Christmas, right? Emmanuel, im, with, anu, us, el, God, Emmanuel, with us, God. God with us. I want you to look at this modification here to the word Father. He is the eternal Father. He is the everlasting Father. Jesus was before time. Jesus will endure throughout all time. And the infant of Christmas is really the infinite of creation. And since Jesus never dies, there's no need for another peace child to be given. And furthermore, it's interesting with the Sowies, is that when they saw Jesus as the ultimate peace child, then they saw Judas and everything he did as a truly a heinous act of what it was. Because they came to see Jesus as better than Judas. They came to understand that Judas betrayed the peace child. And you can betray anybody in that culture, but you can't betray the peace child. To betray the, the peace child is the greatest wrong, the greatest sin, the greatest evil that could be done. So even with the peace child solved the problem of lifting up Judas as a hero as well. And God did a miraculous work among the Sawi people. Uh, the Richardsons lived there for 15 years. and that time, God really transformed their culture. No longer were they cannibals. No longer were they a treacherous people. But they were a Christian people. 
Really, what took place was Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 5. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness and they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burdens and on the staff of their shoulders and the rod of the oppressor is at the battle of Midian for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. In other words, these people who'd walked in darkness and had had nowhere to go and nowhere to turn, light came to them. Where once there was sadness, now there's gladness. Once there was war, now there is peace. Verse 6, even we read that the government will be upon his shoulders. Ultimately, it's talking about Jesus taking the throne of David, right? Verse 7. And there will be no end or increase of his government or of his peace on his throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore. Here's Jesus sitting on the throne of David, becoming the, the governor, the king of the world. And that took place for the Saudi people. No longer were they law unto themselves. Jesus then became their governor. Jesus was their king. And they increased as a nation. And there, there was a gladness among them. Well, this past summer was 50 years exactly when John Richardson and, and his three sons um, returned to visit the Sawi. It's a video I passed out. How many of you watched that video from the Weekly Word? Some of you. You can watch it. I thought about showing it today, but um, you can see it on your own time uh, at home. It tells the story of Don Richardson, his sons coming back to the village to see how they're doing right there where he was. Exactly 50 years ago from the time that he arrived. And when they came back, they received a hero's welcome. Saw friends from long ago. In fact, even on the video, um, Steve Richardson is there and standing and he's got his arm around a guy. And, and of course, you think about how many years have passed since they'd seen each other, 30, 40 years. And he said, this, this uh, Sally was telling him, yes, we, we used to swim together right there. Do you remember? And he told him his name, and now he remembered. But you know, when they were they were just little guys jumping off the trees and swimming right there in the swamp and loving it. And one of the things that Don Richardson said was, "It's amazing to see so many old people." Because when you live in a cannibalistic society, very few survive, and your expectation is to have a violent death. And yet Christ, when He came upon them. They've lived in peace now these past 50 years. And what I love is the gospel that took root 50 years ago is still taking root today. In fact, that's the point you made out to me, right? Romans 1:16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That just the gospel, we are not to be ashamed of it because it is powerful enough to turn cannibalistic people into believers in Christ and that can last 50 years. And it will last beyond for sure. But it is something we ought, to, we ought to trust that he who began a good work among the Sao would be faithful to complete it. Indeed, he did. No, this message of Christ crucified is the message of Christmas. Jesus Christ coming to us, to God's enemies, to die for us. So as to reconcile us to him. It's a powerful message that can change your life just as it changed the Sao's. It's a powerful message that can sustain your life just like it has sustained the Sao people. So I exhort you this morning to believe on this child. Let's pray. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to see the, the glories of Jesus Christ as the ultimate peace child that he is. And thank you for the illustration you've given, this redemptive analogy in the, the Saudi culture of this peace child that was given to effect peace. And pray we realize the riches of everything that you gave to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who came among us and lived perfectly. He who knew no sin became sin for us. As he died upon the cross, taking the wrath God, that we deserved in his body, bearing in his body the wounds we deserved, God, that we might live to righteousness. He gave us righteousness. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us. I pray, even especially this Christmas season, as we reflect upon Jesus, may we not miss all that he was for us, how he establishes peace between us and you can establish peace within us. He can establish peace among us. God, if there are those who don't believe here today, I pray you'd convict them of their sin and show them the glories of their Savior. Help us, O Lord, and simply live lives honoring to you. May the cry of revelation be the cry of our hearts to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.